James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. God, we pray today that because we looked into your word, we better be better, a better church, a better community of faith where people could f- come in and find you, Lord, where people could come in and experience your goodness, Lord, where people could come in without condemnation and find your grace. God, we pray because we were together looking into your word, we'd be different today more like Jesus. We thank you for this moment and we pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. James is wrapping up his letter to the church by going back and grabbing the initial thought he wrote at the beginning of the letter. James chapter 1, he says, Consider pure, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All the way in chapter 5, at the end of his letter, in verse 13, he says, Is any of you in trouble? Now, he's not talking about you just strong arm robbed a liquor store and now the police are chasing you. He's saying the same type of trouble. Are any of you facing trials of many kinds, persecutions? Oppression. He's saying, if any of you are walking through trouble like that, pray. So at the end, he goes all the way back to the beginning. He says, if you're facing that type of thing, pray. Pray. He actually gives us three ways to pray at the beginning of this thought. He says, um, he says basically pray, but he, but he gives it to us in three different ways. He says, pray. If you're in trouble, pray if you're in trouble. If you're in trouble, if you're facing something now, not from your own doing necessarily, but if you're facing something, pray. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. James is not talking about self-induced trouble, but a trouble like he described in chapter one, a persecution or oppression. He wanted to remind the church that God was their deliverer. We just sang about it. He steps into our Egypt. And takes us by the hand. If you couple this with the previous verses about being patient, James wasn't teaching the church to be just to pray for deliverance. Now, 
It's so important to not cherry pick verses when you're, when you're walking through scripture because you could say, if anyone is in trouble, pray. And then you could infer that that just meant you would automatically be delivered. Well, I'm praying that must mean deliverance. But if you read the whole book of James, you realize that James says through persecution, you can learn things through trials of various kinds. You can learn to be perseverant. You can, you can get wisdom in the middle of it. He even says that you can be patient. So now we get to the end and he says, if you're in trouble, pray. It doesn't just mean pray and boom, God fixes it. It means pray because you have a relationship with the one who can fix it. This constant communication back and forth between you and God. He said, if you are in trouble right now, this is what you need. You need to pray. You need to have this communication. It needs to be established in your life. You need to be able to converse with God about what's going on. Prayer prayer reveals our dependence on God and moves us toward him. It's not a secret password or a genie in a bottle. It's not I'm praying to make God change his mind. It's I'm praying to know the mind of God. I'm praying so I know what he's planning to do. I'm praying so that if he doesn't change it, I'm fine. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes this to the church. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul's not saying pray without ceasing in the sense of like, I can't carry on another conversation. Hey, what's for dinner? I can't tell you I'm praying. What are you doing today? I'm praying. Paul's setting this up as something that we do repetitively, that, that it's a, that it's an ongoing, consistent thing. It doesn't mean that every thought that comes out of your mind is prayer. It means, but it means that you're consistent though in prayer. Just like I hope you're consistent in taking a shower every day. If we prayed as much as we took a shower, we'd smell better to everybody. Trust me, as I was a group of guys this week for about four days. No showers. Until the end. James is saying, if you're in trouble, pray. Reach out. Be consistent. Have a relationship with God. Pray. And then he transitions. He says, pray if you're happy. If you're happy, pray. Now, here's what I know about myself. If I don't pray when things are going well, I end up taking credit for it. Because I think I'm smart. If I, don't, if I don't have that relationship with God where I realize that I'm fallible and I realize that I'm not perfect, that I realize that there's things that I've got going and I realize that I don't deserve the things I have. If I don't have that, when everything is going well, I'm going to miss the fact that he's the one that provided everything that is going well. Amen? Sometimes it's harder to pray when you're happy than it is when you're in trouble. Sometimes it's more difficult because maybe in a twisted way we think, well, if we pray, we could screw the whole thing up. I just don't want to touch anything. I just want to leave it the way it is. I want to ask God for like, oh, now things are going well. God, give me patience. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. But, but scripture implores us when things are going well to lift praise to God. To recognize that he's a source of all things that are good in our lives. You don't have to look past the Psalms to find out examples of this. 
Psalm chapter 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful, wonderful deeds. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise in with songs of praise. For the Lord is great. He's a great God and a great king above all gods. Psalm 118, 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. When we pray, when we're happy, it shows God that we know where it came from. We say, God, you're, you're the source of everything that's good in my life. So, James is painting a picture here of communicating with God in every circumstance. Pray, pray. He's talking about your personal relationship. Pray, with, pray. Have, a, have communication with God. Pray. When you're, when you're in trouble, pray. When you're happy, pray. This one-on-one, you and God, mano y mano. Pray. Then James transitions when he gets to sickness. So he says, pray when you're in trouble. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sick. But he switches it up a little bit. He doesn't tell you just to pray. He tells you to get other people to pray. So What's James saying to us? He's saying, you better, be, you better have a communication with God, and then you better know other people that know how to communicate to God. Could I just assume for a second that there have been things in your life that have tested you beyond your ability in and of yourself to figure out? Oh, most of you never have had that problem. Okay. okay well, I'm, I'll just skip on to the next thing. No. There have been things in my life where I got to the place that my faith alone couldn't affect anything. I didn't have enough faith to trust God to get through what I was walking through. Anybody, maybe that's a better way to put it. Anybody ever been in something that you didn't have enough faith to to get out of it? That you were sick enough that you didn't have enough strength to pray for yourself? Anybody ever been in that place? That you were down so far that when you looked up, there wasn't even a flicker and you thought, if I stay down here by myself, I'm not going to make it. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Now that we're all in the same group. James says, when you're in trouble, pray. When you're happy, pray. But when you're sick beyond your ability to reconcile how God is ever going to get you out of that, he doesn't say stop pray. He says you better get some other people to pray. This is where the community of believers come together. This is where it's important to have people around you that have more faith than you do. Now, I know that there's some people in a, in, a, in a room this size with this many people. I know there's a few of you that are like, I just love being out in the wilderness by myself. And like, like God is so real when the birds are chirping and the little chipmunks are running around. And I could just be out there forever eating sticks and praying. <laughs> I know there's some people out here like that. And I know that's where your relationship with God flourishes. I know that you, that you like isolation and that's fine. Don't isolate yourself to the point that you can't get somebody in a moment to pray for you. That's not how you were designed. I know the crickets are beautiful and chirping and the birds and the things in them. 
but we were created to be in community. And James says, pray by yourself. Yes, do that. When you're in trouble, pray. And when you're happy, pray. But when you're sick to the point where you can't affect change, you get some other people. You get, you call in the community of believers to pray. You pray with people, have people pray for you. Now there's a distinct thing I need to make sure you understand about this because back in the day, the church has had a problem with, and I've told you this before, with creating formulas out of everything in the Bible. And so for the sake of looking for a formula, we skip over what the Bible is actually, what James is actually saying. So I grew up in a Pentecostal church that took a lot of this absolutely literally like, like if you follow these three steps, everybody gets healed all the time. James says this, if there's any sick among you, take, have the elders of the church come and lay hands on them, anoint them with oil. So that sounds like a couple steps we could repeat, doesn't it? Okay, there's some, now, now James is not talking about seasonal allergies. Just like Pastor Chris, man, I got this sinus deal every, every, every October. You know what I'm going to say? It's COVID-19, man. Get out of my face. Like, <laughs> a seasonal allergy thing. I just can't handle it. James is talking about sickness beyond your ability to deal with it. He's not talking about, like, I pulled a hammy. He's talking about an illness where it's beyond your ability to pray on your own. He's not saying skip the praying on your own. He said when the sickness becomes so great that you can't pray on your own anymore, invite people around you. So what happens is we create, we created a formula out of that. We said, okay, he said elders of the church. So we'll get the leaders of the church around and we'll lay hands on people, we'll lay hands on people pre COVID-19. We'll lay hands on people. We'll anoint them with oil and then they will be healed. That sounds to me like a repeatable process. And then the next thing you know, we got TV preachers doing it with people they've never met before. We started lining people up that nobody knew. And we'd get the leaders of the church to lay hands on them while everybody else watched. And we'd anoint them with some off-brand olive oil. You don't want to use the good stuff. Somebody might knock it over. Anoint them with a little off-brand olive oil. We say the prayer of faith. In Jesus' name, let them be healed. And we'd walk down the row. Bang, bang. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We wouldn't even know why they were sick. And then in my experience, nine times out of ten, nothing happened. So I started thinking about this in the context of what James wrote. Was that God's problem or ours? Because James was not writing a formula. He was writing about a relationship. Uh, Watch how this happens. When you're in trouble, pray. Up and down, me and him. When you're happy, pray. Up and down, me and him. When you're sick to the point where you can't affect change, where you can't pray anymore, invite the family around you. He wasn't talking to a church of a thousand. He was talking to a, a community church that knew each other and would pray for each other. That's why... I'm not trying to offend anybody, but unspoken prayers get on my nerves so bad. Anyone else? Anybody get prayer requests? Yeah, it's unspoken. Why'd you even raise your hand? If you weren't going to tell us. If you weren't going to tell us, it's like, it's above your pay grade. 
I've been my wife 25 years. If I said, Beth, could you pray for me? She said, what about? I, it's unspoken. She would go, what? We've been together 25. You're not going to tell me? I can't. I just can't. I, it's unspoken. Do you know what's happened to the church when we can't trust each other enough to tell them how we're hurting? Mm-hmm. That's why I love connect groups. If you're in a group of 10 people that you trusted, why should there be an unspoken prayer? 10 people that you knew were for you and you knew if you were so down and out, you couldn't pray for yourself that they gather around you and they'd pray their guts out until they moved heaven and earth. And you never had to keep a secret from them. If the church was safe enough where we could get together and we, when we were so down, we could look at other people in the church and say, I need help. I'm sick and I can't even pray for myself. What's going on? And we would just spill our guts and they would go, we're praying. James is talking about community. He's not talking about a, like a pattern of laying on hands and oiling people up. <laughs> He's not talking about, let's just repeat this process and just try to conjure up something. We don't know each other. We're not safe around each other. We're not even telling each other how we hurt. But if we lay hands and do the oil, it's all better. What part of the relationship with Jesus does that even make sense in? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever that the God of all the universe who would send his only son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, would come down. Not, he could have saved us any way he wanted to, but he chose to be with us and have relationship with us. And James points that out at the beginning when he says, hey, have a, if you're in trouble, have a relationship. If you're happy, have a relationship. And if it's beyond your ability to cope with it, have a relationship. And yet we turned it into a formulaic thing where we're just laying hands and then people get TV shows. Oh, look, they're faith healers. And they just, people fall down and they get out of their wheelchair. I'm looking for a safe church where I don't have to have an unspoken prayer request. I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for a connect group that I can walk in and say, you know what? It just hurts right now. And I don't know what to do about it. We got no more strength but you're safe and I can tell you. Would you pray for me? That's what James is pointing out. He's not saying, he's not saying just do this with strangers and just meet somebody at Walmart and whip out the oil. Maybe a little spritzer. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the body of Christ. And the reason I'm so strong about this is because he keeps indicating this. The longer he talks about it, he keeps pushing us that way at the end of chapter five. It's his whole, it's his whole motivation for the end of the book to tell us we're in community together. So you pray, you get people around you, but then he transitions. He says, pray, When you're in trouble, pray. When you're happy, pray. When you get sick, have people pray for you. Then he says this. And this is some of the most controversial stuff the church can talk about today. Because we don't want to talk about it. He says, sometimes you're sick because there's sin in your life. 
Mm. He says, maybe, maybe you got high blood pressure because you haven't dealt with your anger. Maybe I've got heart disease because I never could control gluttony in my life. Maybe I've got lung issues because I could never put down a cigarette. Maybe I've got liver issues because I could never put down a bottle. James actually says that when the church is a community that's safe enough, we can tell each other not only that we're sick, but why we're sick. Boy, those days are far and few, aren't they? That the community of believers is safe enough. He's not saying, uh, I, I, gotta, I gotta admit something here. Back in the 80s and 90s, we used to have these things called accountability partners. I hated them. Just, I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard about. I go to the church, you're like, hey man, you're struggling with it? You should get an accountability partner. What, so every time I can meet that person, I'll just tell them how bad I am? That's weird. Can we at least, oh, let's meet at Cracker Barrel. What are we going to talk about? I've got an addiction to blah, 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 blah. And you're looking at the person next to you and they're like, oh, oh. Used to be a thing, get an accountability partner in the church. I used to think, why can't we just be friends? Why can't we just be friends? Why can't you pray for me and I pray for you? Why can't? When I'm down, you pray. And when you're down, I pray. And then why can't it be safe enough that I can tell you if the, if the sin I'm living in caused the sickness? Why can't we just have that conversation because it's a safe place to have the conversation? We don't have to set up accountability meetings. Wouldn't that be so fun if you had that at work? Hey, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow. I'm getting ready to tell you how you suck. Not a promotion, not today. Every month on the first, you're going to come in. And we're going to have a little accountability session. Aren't you excited that you're still employed here? That's what the church did for years. It was never safe. And it was never fun. So people started being quiet about the sin. And people started walking around sick and unhealed. And then the whole church suffered because guess what? If you're too sick to pray for me and I'm too sick to pray for you. You see, when the church becomes unsafe to the point where nobody can tell each other what they're really walking through, nobody can be healed. If all of us are so deep in our own sin and unable to confess to anybody what's going on and we're just so deep in it, how are any of us going to get our heads above water? So James is saying, listen, the community of believers, if one of you is sick, bring the elders together, lay hands on them, anoint them with oil. There are some, there are some theologians that believe James was actually talking about. Now I'm going to preface this by saying, I hate essential oils. Let's just get that out of the picture. I think they all smell weird. I don't want to walk around smelling like a pizza. But that was a common practice in those days to anoint people with oil. So James is linking spiritual things and medicinal things at the same time. So can I say something to you that might be controversial on a Pentecostal church? Go to the doctor. If you don't go to the doctor, it doesn't mean you have more faith than me. It means you didn't go to the doctor. 
so what James says, he says, listen, when you're sick, gather the people, gather the leaders of the church together. Now, now I know some of you grew up differently than me, and there was one person in your life that was holy enough for you to tell your sins to. I know some of you grew up that way. That's not what James is saying. He's not saying the prayer of the righteous as in perfect because we know no one is perfect. So we're all playing on the same level field. He's saying gather people around you that have enough faith, the elders of the church, the people who have stepped up into leadership, the people who are teaching it, the people who are who have these things together in their Just invite them around you. Let them lay hands on you. And if you need a doctor, go see a doctor. But the reason he's so confident about it is he says, it is the Lord who will raise you up. So you know what I'd rather hear more of? I'd rather hear, you know what? I was in my connect group. And I realized that this was going on in my life because of this in my life. And so I confessed it to some people in the connect group. And they loved me so much that they hugged me, put their arms around me, and they prayed the prayer of faith over me. And I went and saw the doctor. And when I went and saw the doctor, he said it miraculously, it cleared up. And then I told him it was the Lord that did it. But because church is not safe... The doctor never hears the story. Because there's no community, the doctor never hears the story. Because we're so afraid that somebody else is going to find out, the doctor never hears the story. Because we're so afraid of looking weak or not having it all together, the doctor never hears the story. And so the doctor hears, yeah, I go to church, but our faith never extends past that. What I believe every doctor on the planet needs to hear is, Hey, I came to you because you know what you're doing, but I also went to a group of people I hang out with every week that know what they're doing. And they're praying to the God that created all of this stuff. And I'll be honest with you, Doc, I'm pretty tired, but they're not. If we're going to keep praying. If we're going to win this thing. With you or without you. James is saying, the most difficult times of our life, don't forget community. Don't forget community. He said, you've got to have people around you that will lift you up. You've got to be able to have a place safe enough to confess sin to each other. I need to tell you something. This is not, James is not saying confess your sins because of condemnation, because somebody needs a heap of, a load of condemnation. He says, confess your sins. We need to turn confession into a step of healing. Did you hear that? For generations, confession meant condemnation. Oh, did you hear sister so-and-so? Well, I knew, I knew already. I knew she was doing it. I knew brother Billy was doing that last week. I I rode by his house. I saw him on the lawnmower smoking. Mm Yep. Yep. He wants to be a board member. I just don't see how that can work. I'm going to call the committee. He needs to confess. Come on, you see how it works, don't you? Instead of saying, hey man, I want you to be whole. This is a safe place. What if our kids grew up in an environment where they knew they could come and confess 
and it would bring healing. I'm not saying the discipline doesn't need to be there, but if we confuse confession with discipline all the time and not healing, James says we're missing the boat. So in church, the, the, the way I grew up was confession always led to condemnation. And Jesus says there is now therefore no condemnation. There, there's nothing. When he came, he didn't come to condemn the world, but by him the world might be saved. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So when somebody confesses, we should be like, hey man, you are on your way to healing. This is a good thing. We're praying for you. We're going to hold you up. We're going to lift you up. We're going to support you. You're, you're part of the family. It's safe here. You don't have to keep it to yourself anymore. How freeing is that in a family? Amen? Here's how I know. Here's how I know James is so serious about this. He says to pray, confess, and the last thing he talks about, he talks about this, to keep watch. Verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. He's ending with this. He's ending with the fact that we shouldn't let people leave real easy. Community with God and community with each other. That's what he's talking about. Confessing our sin and being healed creates an environment where we care about each other enough to confront and turn. This is not a confrontation to heap condemnation on people but one to bring the person back into a right right relationship with God. Now, I know some of you are rule followers. I happen to not have that sickness either. Um, But some of you are like, the church has had a history of like, oh, they they did that one time. We'd We'd like Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. I'll read it to you. It's, it's so like, like an accountant wrote it. Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Step one. Everybody understand that. Step one. If somebody sins, go to them individually. Step one. That's easy. This is awesome. We're getting steps. Step one. Step two. Verse 16. But if he does not listen... Take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Step two, I get to tell somebody about your sin. And then we're going to come and confront you on your birthday. So step one, confront them. If they don't listen, step two, take people with you. All right, here we go. Step three. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So what I was thinking was on Sunday, if any of you aren't listening, we could post your sin up here on the screen and everybody would know. And we'd say, Hey, they're just a step three. Isn't this awesome? Or does any of you remember the one, the signs in the back that had the attendance from last week and the offering from last week and the hymns that we were going to sing this week? Anybody remember that? So what we could do is we could put a one, two, three step thing back there and then another one for people that we should shun. And we could just have an ongoing running list. Like, like in school, you could get a card of a different color each day and we could just move you up and down the list according to what step you were on. That'd be fun. 
You're like, Jim, you bumped up to step one. That's awesome. You're off the list. This is so good. This is a pretty bad idea, isn't it? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, tell him, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. He's saying just disassociate yourself with them. But here's what, here's what impatient, well-meaning believers have done with that over the years. They forgot James chapter 5, where James says, the best thing you could do, the best thing you could do in a family is care about somebody enough to turn them back. Do you know what Jesus was saying? In Matthew, Jesus was saying this. Go to great lengths to save people. That wasn't a one, two, three, and a couple week process of just turning people. Hey, you got three shots, man. You just, you just ruined it. Now we can't hang out. If you read Matthew chapter 18 through the lens of a savior who came and died for us, this is a patient, long suffering, every step, every single, you make sure you've done everything to turn them. Then we get to James chapter five and it says, spare nothing, turn them. So Jesus says, Hey, if somebody sin, just go to them, just you and them, just go to them. And then, and then if they don't listen to you, take some people who love on them. Take some, don't take judges, take lovers with you. Talk to them. And then if that doesn't work, you better have a church so safe. Are you listening? You better have a church so safe that when everybody turns up, they know the whole community loves them. How are you going to turn somebody away with condemnation? That doesn't even make sense. So, so we interpret Matthew 18 in the act of condemnation. Like we're just going to get a bunch of people to show up and wag their fingers at them and tell them they were wrong. If you, if you look at it through the lens of Jesus who said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but through, but through him, the world might be safe. If you look at it through that lens, that's God himself. Then what happens is the church is safe enough that when everybody shows up, the person goes, oh my, all of you love me enough to come out here. And I believe the act of one by one, the church walking up and saying, man, we love you. Don't do it. We love you. Just come back. We love you. James is saying, in community, when you're praying for each other, make sure the community is safe enough where you can confess your sins. Make sure the community is enough where people can be healed. And make sure when somebody turns away, the community cares enough to go after them. You chase people. You just chase people. And I think the church should chase people until they're tired of running. Now, you know what the crazy part is? I don't think God has ever allowed me to dictate the timeline on that. Hmm. I don't think in all the years that I've been here, God has ever allowed me to dictate the timeline on when we stop chasing. If you're sitting here and you've got a loved one who's away apart from the Lord, when's too long? I say never. 
If there's somebody that used to sit in these chairs beside you and they're not, and they're not here anymore and you know, you know, they've turned, how long is too long to chase? How long? If Jesus was willing to go to the cross, how can we put a timeline on people? If it was your kid, would you put a timeline on them? If it was your spouse, would you put a timeline? (laughs) Actually, that's easier than the kid. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit penetrates our heart enough today to throw out the timelines and say, God, we're just going to turn people. We're here today committed to make a community safe enough for people to be healed, to confess, to their lives to be transformed. And if they run, Lord, we're chasing them. That's our commitment today. And I have to tell you the way I started out today's sermon telling you about my daughter getting engaged. I am so thankful. I I told the first service, Pastor Don and I have worked the last 20 years. I worked for him for 16 years before I became lead pastor. In his heart, there was no timeline in his heart. And we were for 20 years to make sure it's a safe place for people to be healed. No formulas, no. No run around just laying hands on people you don't know. But saying, hey, come into the community. We care about you enough to drop what's going on and pray. And then make it safe enough where if something's going on in your life, that even if you're embarrassed about it or it's atrocious, that you can talk about it. And there's no condemnation, but there's healing coming. And so I pray that for the next 20 years, all that happens is it gets safer. I pray that we go to, when we go to Berkeley Springs, people show up to a safe church. People show up to a safe... You know what blows people away? Showing up to a safe church. Nobody's used to it. When people get in connect groups, they go, man, I can trust these people with my life. I can tell them anything I need to tell them. And they got my back. Does that sound good to you? That's how James wraps up his letter. Let's create an environment where people can be prayed for and be safe and healed. And I think that stands for the church today. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Let's pray like that this morning. I want to pray that prayer for you. If you're not in a connect group, you should get in one. You should find a group of people. Then all the chips are, everything's at stake that you can, that you can be transparent with. And they'll, they'll love you through it. Amen. Let's just pray like that. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy in our lives. We thank you that you're so patient with us. And we thank you, God, that you have given us the ability to love on one another. We thank you. And we ask you today, God, to help us make this a safe place for kids to grow up in, Lord, for teenagers to experience your love, for families to be healed, for relationships to be healed, for people to be healed physically, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would Help us make this a safe place for confession. And God, that you would get the glory. And Lord, when we are healed, it will be known that you are the one that raised us up. That you are the reason for this. So I pray for every person here today, Lord, that they find that safe community. Lord, they find those friends. They find that help, God, that you put us in community to get. And I pray we become.
Could you give him praise one more time? He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody on your way out. Be a safe place for somebody this week. We'll see you next week.